live from the Livingston campus of Rutgers University. This is RLC WVPH in Piscataway. 90.3 The Core. Independent community radio from Piscataway High School and Rutgers University. Learn more at thecore.fm. Many voices. One station. This is 90.3 The Core. Hello and welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. Um, I'm your host, James. So last night, New Brunswick residents met in the American-Hungarian Foundation building on Somerset Street to discuss what could be an existential threat to the social fabric of the communities in the 5th and 6th wards. The Lincoln Annex School, serving roughly 750 children in grades 4 through 8, may be shut down by the city and sold to Robert Wood Johnson to build a new Rutgers Cancer Institute building. Residents from across the community expressed concerns about what the future could hold. At this point, the city has announced no contingency plan for the closing of the school. Students could very likely end up in a building over two miles away and outside of the fifth ward in what has become locally known as the warehouse school, a rented warehouse structure that the school district has put to use during renovations and other projects. If not the warehouse school, Lincoln Annex students could be relocated to the original Lincoln School, a building constructed in 1910 with no, with no central air conditioning, limited technological capabilities, and a school that is currently housing just four grade levels. What is clear is that if the closing of Lincoln Annex does move forward, students at the school will join a long line of community members who have faced displacement and disruption in order to satisfy the desires of RWJ and DEVCO. In New Brunswick, these types of losses have simply become the cost of doing business. According to census data, as median household income in the city has tumbled over 13% in the last decade, New Brunswick leadership has allowed the neoliberal project of privatization and draining of the public sphere to go absolutely supernova. In the same year that New Brunswick may announce the closing of a vital public school, in the spring, the city proposed a budget that allocates funding for five new police officers. What has transpired over the past few decades in New Brunswick is an unprecedented concentration of power, one in which the city's largest institutions, DEVCO, Johnson & Johnson, RWJ, and Rutgers, are no longer serving the interests of the city's residents. Increasingly, community members are finding themselves being forced to adapt to serve the profit interests of this unelected urban regime. The question isn't who is benefiting from this brave new world in New Brunswick. The more important question is who is this city leaving behind? Tonight, we are joined by Charlie Craddeville, member of the 5th and 6th War Neighborhood Association, editor of New Brunswick Today, former candidate for mayor, a graduate of Rutgers, and also a former core DJ. Charlie, how are you tonight? I'm great, thanks. Good to be with you. Thank you for coming on the show. Obviously, this is a really important topic, very current. Um, I think what would be useful for our audience uh, first would just to kind of give some history and background on the Lincoln Annex School and the other schools in the 5th and 6th Ward. Sure. Um, so we have a... Uh, system of elementary schools in New Brunswick, uh, whereby the 
oldest and most historic part of town, the part of town that uh, you know, Rutgers students are probably most familiar with, uh, including the College Avenue campus, uh, is served by two schools for K through eight. The old Lincoln School that you mentioned is is quite old, uh, and the Lincoln Annex School. The Lincoln Annex is actually a former Catholic school campus. It was uh, home to an elementary and a high school uh, known as St. Peter's, and uh, the, those schools closed uh, during my time here. I think the uh, first one closed in 07 and the second in uh, 2010. They sat vacant for a little while, and then the school board here in New Brunswick did a, a amazing thing, a good thing for the neighborhood. They bought the vacant school, uh, you know, spent significant resources to uh, upgrade it, get it uh, in shape to, to be able to handle the 750 students that do go there today. And so this neighborhood has uh, uh, been able to address the issues of overcrowding and, uh, it, it, you know, uh, it, it's helped the, the neighborhood to get by with that really old Lincoln School to at least have this uh, somewhat newer refurbished uh, facility, and now it's in jeopardy. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is really a product of this kind of dramatic growth that RWJ has taken on um, in the past few decades. Um, what are What's some of the background on this growth? How has RWJ expanded both in New Brunswick and also across the state? Yeah, so, I mean, the healthcare business in general has expanded greatly, especially in New Jersey and especially in New Brunswick. So we're probably one of the only cities in the region that has uh, not one but two major hospital campuses. We, of course, have uh, Robert Wood Johnson and St. Peter's hospitals. And, uh, you know, 100 years ago, those we're each just, you know, one building a piece out of the, the, the thousands of buildings in the city. Uh, they were a rather, you know, modest part of the fabric of the neighborhood. Uh, they weren't huge institutional players like they are today. But of course, we've seen just in, in recent years, uh, in particular, Robert Wood Johnson amassing a lot of power by consolidating, by merging with other hospitals and healthcare systems. So the big, the big one was, of course, uh, the merger with St. Barnabas Health Systems, which made the combined uh, RWJ Barnabas, the largest healthcare system in the state of New Jersey. And just last week, I read they're looking to purchase Trinitas Hospital in Elizabeth, further uh, consolidating power and, and, and essentially growing into a, a, a dangerous monopoly. And how did you come across this possible purchase of of the land? I know it caught a lot of parents off guard at the meeting last night. Um, some kids were talking about that their own teachers didn't even know about the possible purchase. Where did you come across this kind of possible deal? Sure, sure. Well, I've, I've of course, been covering the city for years, so I've seen a number of different types of redevelopment co- projects come forth. Some are affiliated with Robert Wood, others with this uh, Devco, uh, uh, you know, developer. Um, and, you know, they something didn't add up with this one. They, they had a, a, you know, sort of an open event to announce their uh, plans to build the, the, the new Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey, a, you know, a laudable uh, goal, but they left out a key detail that would almost always be part of uh, uh, such an announcement where it will be. Uh, you know, they had everybody there. They had the, the photo op. They had the, you know, the, the price tag of what it was going to be. They had the timeline of when they were going to open it, but they just couldn't quite say, well, wh- where it's going to be. And, and the answer, 
uh, seems to be that, that their first choice is the uh, current home of the Lincoln Annex School and uh, was able to get some school district officials to confirm that, yes, there are conversations going on um, and that actually, uh, you know, I followed up with some questions at the most recent Board of Ed meeting. We're, of course, getting ready for the Board of Ed in just uh, under two hours tonight, but a month ago I did come out to that meeting and, and you know, put them on the record about this and ask the superintendent to confirm who's having the conversations. Uh, I think you have the clip. Uh, you'll hear he didn't really have uh, anything to say on that question. Yeah, we can listen to this audio right now. Really interesting um, responses from the Board of Ed. school ultimately is 
not sold because it's a fine school, to my understanding. It's working well. There's, uh, just because somebody else wants the land, that's their problem, not, not the school district's problem. And I hope that you'll uh, be very skeptical of any uh, wheeling and dealing with real estate that involves us selling the real estate. It's one thing if you have a property you want to acquire. I applaud the district for, for opening a new school in, in, the, in the 40 Van Dyke place, but we need, we need more schools. And actually, if you look at the history, the Washington School was sold by this body for just $300,000. And now that neighborhood doesn't have a school. Uh, and it was sold to a partnership of Robert Wood and St. Peter's Hospital for just 300 grand. So I really feel like we got fleeced then. This was before my time, of course, but I think that uh, that piece of real estate is working great as a school, and the district should not be entertaining negotiations. And I think that if you want to put the rumors to rest tonight, you can, because you own the school, and you can say, it's not for sale. Please stand up and say, that school is not for sale. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Good evening and welcome to Why I Smoke, the game show that lets smokers defend their addictive, life-threatening, and disgusting habit. I'm your host, Harry Healthy. Let's welcome our contestants, Brenda and Joe. Let's begin with Miss Yellow Teeth, Brenda. Why did you start smoking? Well, uh, I thought I needed to lose like 10 pounds. Cigarettes were a way to lose weight. Ah, yes. Drop those inches and increase your chances at getting cancer, premature wrinkles, and infertility. Let's move on to Joe. Why do you smoke? I look cool, man. And the chicks dig it. What you need are women who also smoke. That way their teeth are just as stained and black as yours. Well, sorry my date with death contestants, but we're out of time. I'm Harry Healthy for Why I Smoke. Need any more reasons to quit smoking? Visit njverbell.com. This message is brought to you by the Center for Addiction Studies and 90.3 The Core. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Car, The Core. <laughs> um, we're talking tonight um, about the Lincoln Annex School and its possible closure. Um, we're here tonight with Charlie Craddaville of the Fifth and Sixth Neighborhood, Fifth and Sixth Ward Neighborhood Association, um, discussing um, this whole situation um, and exactly how residents are moving forward next. Um, so we just listened to a clip from the last. Um, school board meeting um, in September. There is one tonight at seven o'clock as well um, that residents are encouraged to go out to to express their opinions on this and um, help try to save this school. Um, but you mentioned, I think, in the clip too that um, New Brunswick is an SDA district. Mm -hmm. Can you describe that for our listeners and exactly what that means in terms sure. of the school district? Sure. It's a it's sort of a loaded term. I mean, um, there's a very famous Supreme Court case, New Jersey Supreme Court case, um, uh, Abbott v. Burke, and and the Abbott decision uh, sort of uh, set in motion the uh, you know, concept that the state would assist certain districts uh, that were in 
you know, disadvantaged financial situations and, and, and uh, uh, pretty much all urban areas. There are uh, 31 districts that are today called SDA districts. They used to be called Abbott districts. At some point that changed. All, all that really means is that the Schools Development Authority, which is a very uh, sort of uh, controversial uh, state agency, uh, that they are essentially in charge of school construction for those 31 districts. So uh, it's actually somewhat interesting because, uh, you know, typically that means that the the local board, the elected leaders of the board, have a lot less of a say in facilities projects, school construction projects. And and indeed, the way the law was until uh, 2016 was that – Abbott districts, SDA districts were actually prevented from uh, doing any construction or capital investments in their schools that exceeded a half a million dollars. Uh, and that was uh, actually changed. Uh, uh, and, and this is something that even officials in New Brunswick didn't seem to know earlier this year, but this was actually changed in 2016 uh, to specifically remove that cap and allow districts, if they were in the mood to, to build a school and had the resources to do it on their own, it allowed them to do that. And uh, it appears Lincoln Annex was actually one of the first ones that was done without the SDA's help. It was uh, a $7 million piece of land, $7.4 million that uh, the Board of Ed paid to the Catholic Church, uh, the Diocese of, of the Catholic Church to purchase the land. They spent about another 14 or $15 million, uh, upgrading the school. And you heard uh, the business administrator there, Mr. Janarone, give me the total figure, $22 million that New Brunswick taxpayers paid for the school. So highly unusual. We've had a number of projects, new schools coming online, and in in every case except this one, the state paid everything, the entire cost. Yeah, and it's also important to mention, too, for our listeners, that when St. Peter's School was about to close, RWJ had put up an offer um, a few years ago when that deal was happening, um, and then apparently St. Peter's um, did not go through with that offer because they didn't agree with certain medical procedures that RWJ performed, um, so RWJ stepped back, and that's when New Brunswick came in and um, purchased the school. One thing I'm wondering is that because New Brunswick is this SDA district and the rationale behind the state taking over control of a local school district is that, you know, they can oversee um, improvements, uh, make sure that facilities are doing okay. Why don't you, why do you think the SDA has not stepped in yet to try to save this school and make sure that students don't get overcrowded in classrooms? Well, I mean, I, I, I can't speak for the SDA, but I do, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they didn't even know about this plan. Um, you know, they're very focused on building schools. And, uh, you know, there's, as far as I know, no requirement for uh, the district to get their permission or, or notify them that they plan to close a school. It would make sense to tell them. And you would think that if everything was above board, you'd be, they'd be in the loop. But uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they're not on this uh, yet. Uh, but I do plan to bring them into the loop. And then if the school does close, what do you predict um, will happen to those students? I know we, I, I mentioned the warehouse school, but is there any contingency plan that you think is probably the most possible for them? Well, you know, I think that the warehouse school is the most likely outcome if no one takes action. Uh, and that's part of the reason that we got together for that emergency meeting last night was to start taking action steps now before the deal is already, uh, you know, a, a fait accompli, before it's a fi- uh, the fix is in. You know, we want to get 
parents to speak up now uh, and, and, and fight for the school. So I do think that, uh, you know, and just for those people who don't know, it is, there is a rented warehouse. Uh, it's owned by a, uh, a politically connected guy, and it's never been anything but a school. It opened um, right around the time that the Redshaw Elementary School uh, was demolished, and that was a, a real... Uh, real uh, a sad episode for New Brunswick because that was a neighborhood school that had uh, been in service for many, many decades and, and uh, lots of folks had gone there and uh, we destroyed it on the promise that the state would follow through and build the new school but uh, the predecessor to the SDA, which was called the SCC, the School Construction Corporation, they dropped the ball. They were spending way too much on their projects and were not able to build all the projects that they had promised the the Abbott districts. And Redshaw was one of the ones that took way, way longer than it was supposed to. So what was supposed to happen was, okay, we'll close the school. The kids will be in a, the warehouse for two years, and they'll come right back to their neighborhood school. Uh, that was not realized due to the failure of the SEC, due to... Uh, uh, you know, the, basically the entire Corzine administration, they were not able to put the put the pieces together to do that. And uh, really, even for several years into Governor Christie's term, they weren't able to to, to break ground on the school. And then finally, uh, uh, we did finally get the Redshaw School more than 10 years late. So, uh, you know, those kids who ended up in the warehouse ended up there for their entire elementary school uh, experience, uh, kind of a huge broken promise and something we don't want to see repeated. Uh, the, the, just so folks know, this is uh, uh, at the corner of Van Dyke and Jersey Avenue uh, in New Brunswick, and it, it is, it's indistinguishable from the other warehouses, but it is, it is a school on the inside. There's, there's classroom space. It's been used as a school, temporary school in the past, and it's actually home to uh, a special uh, academy, the P-TECH uh, high school program, which is actually where uh, uh, 40 students so far are able to earn college credits uh, as part of their, their year-round studies there. And I think it's an appropriate place for that type of a special school for people who are, you know, teenagers who want to pursue a, a special type of education to, to, you know, take the bus up to the warehouse. It's not the worst thing in the world. But when you uproot young, young kids who are in elementary school age, take away their neighborhood school, send them to a, a, a warehouse for a, a, you know, sort of a place without a recreational space and, uh, you, you know, uh, send them there for a, an indetermined amount of time, uh, that's unacceptable, especially when we have a functioning school that, that is, is there now. And, and, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. And I think what I noticed, too, is that a lot of parents expressed um, concern about moving the school because they walk their kids to school right now. They drive them and then they have to get to work. Um, and creating a distance like that between home and school can be a real challenge um, for a lot of working parents. Um, so you definitely a lot of people don't realize how this really disrupts not only the kids lives, but also the entire social fabric um, of the community. And it's clear that if Lincoln Annex does close, there really aren't that many other options besides the warehouse school or trying to find land to build another school. Um, but you looked into some alternatives where the Lincoln School, Lincoln Annex School could remain open and RWJ could also build this new facility that they want to build. Can you talk to our audience about what those alternatives could be? Sure, sure. I mean, the, uh, you know, uh, first and foremost, I think that everyone in the room last night agreed that the school should not close unless and until a better replacement school is ready to open. There's a big difference between having a replacement site and having a replacement school. That's sort of the situation we got into with Redshaw. Uh, you know, they tore it down to build the new school, and then the, the new school didn't come. 
it didn't come quick enough and, and those kids' lives were affected negatively because of it. So uh, I think that it, it, you know, the, the sort of the reason we're ramping things up is because Robert Wood Johnson and Devco in their promotional, uh, you know, marketing uh, 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 commentary, they are suggesting that they want to start construction as early as this time next year. And they said site work would begin in the summer of 2020. So that tells us that if the site is the Lincoln Annex, that the Lincoln Annex won't be open this time next year. And I've never seen a school get built in less than a year. So uh, right now, the most immediate push is don't close it right away. Don't close it until there's a new uh, a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so there are some alternatives. I mean, Robert Wood Johnson has already a number of properties in the neighborhood, some of which are uh, not fully developed. Uh, they have a, 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 you know, sort of an arrangement with a, a company that uh, uh, owns the property at Somerset and Plum, which is just a surface parking lot now. Just last Monday, the planning board approved that site to be to have buildings up to 250 feet tall. That would be like 25 stories tall. So uh, that would be ideal if Robert Wood could just uh, build build what they want to build all on that piece of land. Uh, if they do, uh, you know, desire a larger piece of land, uh, there's one that's even larger than the Lincoln Annex, and it's quite close to the Robert Wood Johnson campus. We probably all know it as the big hole in the ground across from the train station. Can't miss it. And, uh, you know, funny enough, I was there this morning uh, with our governor and uh, the head of Devco, they were both there for an announcement about improvements to the train station. And uh, the governor was kind enough to call on me and, and, and uh, attempt to answer my questions about, uh, you know, this plan, uh, whether or not it would, would d- displace a school. And, uh, you know, why not go with the alternative of putting it in the, 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 the huge vacant lot uh, in, in that prime location? And you'll hear Governor Murphy respond to what he can. And then, and then actually Chris Paladino, the head of Devco, uh, steps up and kind of provides a little extra and we can talk about it after the clip. Yeah, definitely. Here is Charlie um, earlier this morning outside um, the New Brunswick train station questioning um, Governor Phil Murphy and Chris Paladino. Anyone else in the press? Press? Yeah. Thank you. Governor, uh, Mr. Paladino mentioned the Rutgers Cancer Institute of New Jersey project, the yes. $750 million project. Uh, one, isn't it true that one of the proposed sites for that is a public school that would be demolished and displaced? And two, if DEVCO's priority in New Brunswick is that cancer institute, why not site it right across the street in the, the hole in the ground? So I'll answer the second. This is the, the location for the Innovation and Technology Hub, and that is coming together quite nicely. So there is a very good use, I think, measured at every level, including, including I don't want to speak on behalf of the community, but I think something that the community uh, will also embrace. On the first one, I actually don't know if someone asked it's, it's just really simple. The Cancer Institute needs to be directly connected to the existing hospital facility by a bridge we can't cross the train tracks. So we need to be able to move patients back and forth. And that was Chris Palladino, the head of DevCo, pretty much confirming that, or at least subliminally confirming that this project was going to go forward. Yeah, didn't, um, didn't deny that the yeah. school was going to be displaced. Mm-hmm. He had the opportunity to say, oh, no, you're wrong. That's not what's happening here. And he, he didn't say that. And I'm not sure how familiar you are with the New Brunswick Business Codes, but is that true? The fact that 
um, there can't be a type of uh, bridge structure over the, tr- the railroad tracks? You know, so uh, it's, it's interesting. The announcement today did include the head of Amtrak, and Amtrak is notoriously uh, protective of their uh, you know, railroad corridor it is the most used uh, passenger railroad corridor in the country, and so they they tend not to not to like to have people having things flying over it or under it or or, or, or even near it. But um, at the end of the day, the Robert Wood Johnson campus is enormous and has expanded to both sides of the tracks. And uh, I don't think it would be the worst thing in the world for there to be the Cancer Institute there, but. If that's a deal breaker, there's plenty of other uh, sites and locations that Robert Wood could do that don't have a functioning public school on the site. So, uh, you know, we did outline, I think, six different alternatives last night at the meeting. And, you know, some are better than others. Uh, you know, it's possible that those alternatives could be the site of the new school as opposed to the, uh, an alternative for Robert Wood. But we're just open to, to really whatever is going to keep the school in the neighborhood and not have any, uh, you know, lapse in, in providing that education that's needed. So I did find it interesting. I did, you know, Governor Murphy, of course, his answer was, oh, that site's already spoken for, was really what he was saying. That's the, the hub, which is going to be this innovation technology hub. And I, I don't see why the Rutgers Cancer Institute couldn't be part of that. That seems like a good fit to me. I mean, it seems like some innovation would be going on there. And obviously, the you know huge institutional presence already in New Brunswick, right near that site. They have their fitness center right across the street. Uh, it seems like a, a just common sense. And, and, and I think also people in New Brunswick are starting to get fed up with DevCo because that hole in the ground has been set aside for them. That's a, you know, there's no other developers that are in the mix trying to develop that site because the parking authority has said all along, DevCo is our exclusive partner. DevCo is going to build there. And so for the past couple of years, DevCo has let that site just kind of sit there while they were doing other priorities. They opened a new performing arts center just uh, last month. And now they're, they're stating publicly that their new priority is not the, the hole in the ground, but this cancer institute. And they're sort of uh, kicking the can down the road a little bit more on the the hub project, and not there's no plans, no uh, uh, no real progress on that. But they're jumping over to to do this next project when uh, it just makes sense. Like by now, they they could have put both of those projects in the hole in the ground, and we would have had a much more uh, uh, aesthetically pleasing welcome mat for those who come in on the the train. Yeah, and I think Murphy had even mentioned the fact that this. Uh, hub project was going to include healthcare facilities as well. So Naturally, it's, it's New so Brunswick. It would have made perfect sense. Um, but uh, RWJ's presence and its expanding campus has also created some problems for residents in the community as well. Could you speak to some of those issues? Yeah. So, I mean, just in general, the neighborhood has uh, changed. Uh, these institutions are now super dominant. Rutgers used to be just a small little college. Uh, now it's, of course, a massive statewide university with the, with uh, multiple campuses in this, in this area here. And, uh, you know, just tons of students and faculty and buses and, and just a dominating presence. But Robert Wood and St. Peter's Hospital have also grown significantly over the past hundred years. And, and, you know, part of that has been displacing uh, homes and businesses. So, uh, you know, for example, the uh, uh, the alternative I spoke of that was the ideal one, where uh, you know Robert Wood already has some 
planned expansion there on Somerset and Plum. That was the location of the, the Chardash restaurant, the uh, last Hungarian restaurant. Of course, New Brunswick has a, a, a great history of Hungarian immigrants coming here, starting businesses and, and, and um, living their lives here. And so that was pushed out. Thanks for staying tuned to 90.3 The Core. It's good. It's okay. Okay. Sorry. Sorry about that. So the uh, yeah. So they were pushed out, and we we uh, uh, were promised there would be some housing on the site. Uh, that never came to pass. They, they'll probably blame it on the, the housing market collapse of two thousand eight. And so now that's just a flat parking lot. We could have had the Hungarian restaurant if we just didn't push them out. And uh, so that's just one example. But by pushing out residents and businesses, it does uh, lead to uh, rising rents. Right. There's less uh, housing supply, and and it it also I think. Um, kind of has, you know, some poor planning decisions have been made in terms of how the hospital interacts with the community. You just, just walking down French street, you can see the difference when you've got a nice community area where there's different businesses and people, and then it just becomes almost like a wind tunnel. There's no ground floor retail. There's nothing to do. It's just kind of a very, uh, institutional, uh, uh, vibe. And that's in one of the areas that's close to the train station, super close to the train station. So Robert Wood has really done the opposite of what, what planning professionals would, would support, which would be transit-oriented development, having, uh, you know, lively mixed-use places close to the train station. Well, Robert Wood just developed a huge thing right near the train station, and it's a mostly parking. It's a huge parking deck, and they have actually, this really got me, fake storefronts on the ground floor. They have kind of, uh, you know, sort of faux uh, stores you can't go into. They're just really billboards. They're just yep. really posters for their, their propaganda. And, um, and then, of course, in their expansion up Somerset Street, they failed to uh, meet the requirements of a redevelopment plan that insisted, because they were literally taking over streets, uh, that they make up for it by providing pedestrian access to be able to get from Somerset to French Street because they had just eaten up all these blocks and there was no way for pedestrians to get through without having permission of Robert Wood to cut through. And that's a, another promise that they've broken because uh, currently the elevator that's supposed to help people with uh, mobility impairments is not in service and they're just not uh, operating that walkway 24 hours a day and it's not properly signed. And so they're really, uh, I think, issues with the areas they have taken over. They're not doing uh, uh, community oriented stuff so much as what it is that they want to do with the space. And so uh, it's it's not hard to tell when you're walking around that that uh, this is a huge institution that's kind of out of touch with the uh, the population. Yeah. And I think the fact that it's a hospital that isn't in compliance with, you know, federal regulations when it comes to um, dis disabled people and having access uh, to walkways, it's really ironic, I think, and, and quite outrageous. Um, but I think we're going to go to break right now and we'll come back and talk about kind of the larger forces and what this, what this situation represents to the really changing tides in New Brunswick community. Terrific. This is Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3, The Core. <laughs> Thanks for staying tuned to 90.3 The Core. Now The Core Community Calendar. Wednesday, October 23rd, New Brunswick's Stress Factory Comedy Club is hosting a yearly fundraising event for New Brunswick Tomorrow, which works to identify and solve community problems to improve the New Brunswick lifestyle. Friday, October 25th, Rutgers University Libraries and the Livingston Alumni Association are celebrating Livingston College's 50th anniversary from 4 to 6 p.m. at Piscataway's James Dixon Carr Library. 
Sunday, October 27th, Hub City Sounds presents the 5th Annual Corazon Latino Festival, hosted at New Brunswick's Joyce Kilmer Park. Featuring dances, music, art, and more, the event runs from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Also Sunday, October 27th, the Cornelius Low House is hosting a historical Halloween celebration featuring children's crafts and Victorian big-screen showings of 1950s Halloween horror movies. The event runs from 4 to 9 p.m., but starts even earlier at the East Jersey Old Town Village on River Road. More information available online. Don't forget to check out our website at thecore.fm. And now stay tuned. More Great Core Radio is on the way. And welcome back to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. We're here talking tonight about the possible closing of the Lincoln Annex School, um, how residents are responding, um, and also kind of the larger forces that this situation represents um, in New Brunswick. And we're here with Charlie Cradoville, who is a member of the 5th and 6th Ward uh, Neighborhood Association, who is really taking on this fight and trying to mobilize residents, especially tonight um, at the New Brunswick School Board meeting um, that will be at the New Brunswick High School, which is located at 1000 Somerset Street. And that's tonight at seven o'clock. Indeed. Um, and Charlie, you once wrote, quote, we've allowed the quote, we only build, we're only building this to get some revenue so we can reinvest in neighborhoods that need an excuse to work for too long. The limited resources of our city need to be refocused dramatically. And now is the time. Uh, you wrote that in the Daily Targum in March of 2008. Blast from the past. <laughs> um, and now we're almost 11 years or over 11 years since then. Um, and clearly we're still struggling with a lot of the same issues. Um, what do you think are some ways that local residents and Rutgers students um, can challenge the obviously unequal power structure that exists within New Brunswick? Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, uh, first and foremost, elections matter. You know, we've got, uh, you know, an elected school board now in New Brunswick. That hasn't always been the case. It was a mayor-appointed board until 2012 when the residents overthrew that system and and, uh, we began instituting elections. So there are opportunities to, uh, you know— get the, the student community and the non-student community working together to push for positive changes and better better people on the board. But there's also, you know, the U.S. presidential election next year. There's, I think this really, uh, you know, sort of the New Brunswick experiment fits in nicely with uh, uh, some of the issues that are coming up now that we're sort of at this crossroads as a country. You know, I think that um, as we look at uh, the healthcare system, I mean, my entire life, it has been an open... Uh, you know, open secret that it's broken, that it's not working, that it's unfair, that the insurance companies are getting away with, uh, uh, you know, bad things. And that uh, to some degree, hospitals and their administration are, are part of the problem. Um, and so I think that uh, when we look at hospitals continuing to consolidate, just like when, you know, media companies are consolidating, that's cause for concern. You know, that's, that's uh, you know, things turning into an oligarchy mm-hmm. and uh, uh, turning into monopoly. And, and I think that, um, you know, we see that happening with the healthcare system, especially here in New Jersey. And, I mean, Robert Wood Johnson was just, it was little old Robert Wood Johnson once in a while. It was just our little hospital in, in, in our city. But now it's a massive brand. It's a, a massive business. And, uh, you know, they may technically be a nonprofit, but a lot of profit is being 
being made. Uh, and it, it's, it's, you know, obviously access to the care and the resources is, uh, you know, lacking for a lot of the, the low-income folks in our city. And, and, you know, I think that, you know, it's always been this kind of, uh, you know, disconnect with the sort of the marketing of the city that we're the healthcare city. Yeah, we're the healthcare city, but not everybody has healthcare. Not everybody can go there, and 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 indeed, a lot of people, uh, because of that, wait until it's too late to 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 even try to get the care they need. And and uh, you know, I just think that you know, moving to a system like uh, an improved Medicare for all, or uh, you know, uh, at least doing away with the you know breaking up these big uh, corporations that are taking advantage of us on a daily basis, I think those are really important things to, to push for. So there is a certainly a federal component to this that is, uh, you know, part of why we are, why it is the way it is, why healthcare is such a big business and why the, this hospital is growing and taking over our town and why they're maybe uh, a little more ruthless about it uh, than we'd like to, than we'd like them to be. So, you know, this, this whole uh, problem is, is pretty big, but we've also got the problem of education too. And, you know, the uh, sort of the, in New Jersey, it's been historically very segregated where, you know, urban communities, are left to educate uh, the folks who need the most help. And they often, because uh, we fund our schools through property taxes in New Jersey, those same communities that have the, the, the biggest lift are the ones that are, uh, you know, usually with the, the least uh, financial resources to do it. So New Brunswick's no exception. And, you know, we've seen, the, the, you know, the, the difference between the outcomes of, uh, you know, suburban districts that would never in a million years think of selling a school uh, and, you know, places like New Brunswick and, and some of the other big cities where, uh, you know, uh, people care so much about redevelopment or, or you know, uh, uh, creating jobs that they'd be willing to sacrifice a school. It just it, it rubs me the wrong way and a lot of the people in the neighborhood the wrong way. But unfortunately, it, it, as, as I saw this morning with Governor Murphy and, and Mr. Palladino, they, it, they didn't blink at it. They, that's, that's, uh, that's sort of their M.O. And do you think an institution like Devco needs to be reimagined, restructured. Um, what do you think is it a, a good alternative system um, for shaping the city's development? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's, it's important to understand why things like Devco were created in the first place. You know, it is, uh, uh, challenging to work within government entirely, and you know, there's obviously there are sometimes when it makes sense to 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 work with uh, you know private sector partners. But the reason that Devco exists, I think, is really to allow some of the uh, sort of uh, most important decisions to be made outside of the public sphere. So things like, well, which contractor are you going to use to build the building? You know, that normally, if this was a government thing, that would be subject to public bidding laws and public processes where every qualified, uh, you know, uh, contractor company that wants to be a part of the project would have a chance to try uh, to apply. And that, you know, the uh, the bottom line would be a factor in, in, in looking at which contractors are hired instead of whatever, you know, criteria might be used in the private sector. Um, and additionally, you know, transparency requirements. So, you know, if this, if Devco w did have open board meetings and did, uh, you know, consider themselves subject to the Open Public Records Act and, you know, all their emails were able to be, uh, you know, uh, uh, requested by members of the public. I think that would make a huge difference, but I'm not expecting to see any of that happen anytime soon. So, uh, you know, realistically, what I would like to see and expect to see would be for Devco to be treated just like any other private corporation. Um, you know, I think that 
it's 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 the outcomes are way worse when you have monopolies. That is just, you know, uh, the fact. That's why in our history we've had to break up trusts and why, you know, folks have colluded to try to exploit the community when they controlled the prices and controlled uh, uh, things. Well, in New Jersey, the biggest business is real estate and development is huge. And so to have one private company that's sort of the uh, go-to automatically selected uh, company for all the best real estate in the town, um, you know, that's that's not fair and that's not going to produce the best outcomes. That's why we have things like the fresh grocer, uh, the supermarket that failed twice now, um, because there's no competition. These projects are just, uh, it's assumed that Devco will do them whenever Devco's ready and Devco will do it behind the scenes and they will do it with massive help from the taxpayers. But uh, I just think that when you look at a site like the Fer- former Farron Mall site, the giant hole in the ground, it only only makes sense that you would uh, have a request for proposals and put it out there to any developer. I mean, it's public land. It's owned by the parking authority. Why does Devco get first dibs on it? Have a public process. Let any developer who has an idea, has a plan, has a proposal that fits within the parameters of what the city wants to submit their proposal, submit their price point, and let the government make an informed decision about which developers actually got the best plan and actually in the best position to do it. That's really sort of the way capitalism's supposed to work. Um, in, 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 at least when it intersects with government. But in this case, we see favorable treatment to one developer and l- worse outcomes for everybody else. Yeah. And as both a former Rutgers student and a resident of New Brunswick who has dealt with these kinds of unelected urban regimes that have so much control um, over the city, um, a lot of it has to do with, I think, um, this divide that is really apparent between Rutgers off-campus students who are living in the community who really don't have much of a connection um, in terms of like a long-term relationship with the community um, and the actual people living in the community, people like families in the fifth and sixth ward who send their kids to the Lincoln Annex School. Um, do you what kind of divides do you notice between these populations, and how do you think those divides can be bridged? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great observation. I know you live in the neighborhood, and and it is uh, you know a unique place because not only do you have the state university and a couple of hospital campuses and a huge park, Buckaloo Park, um, uh, and also J and J Worldwide Headquarters Campus, but you've also got a neighborhood that's uh, you know uh, unlike any other in New Jersey. It's mostly young people living on their own for the first time, all in private housing, not university housing, and so you've got a large portion of the neighborhood that is. Uh, you know, for the most part, renters, most part, college students. And in some cases, they're living alongside with with immigrant families and other, uh, you know, working class residents in the neighborhood. And it's one reason I love the neighborhood. I think it's really cool that you have that kind of dynamic going on. But uh, very much people are, you know, running in different circles. You know, the, the student community has their uh, things that matter to them. And it may only here and there overlap with what matters to the other residents. But I think things like the Fifth and Sixth Ward Neighborhood Association and uh, New Brunswick Today doing our coverage in English and Spanish is really helping to, to bring bring that, uh, uh, you know, tear down that wall and have, you know, the, the non-student community uh, informed about what's going on at Rutgers and in, in the student community, but also keeping students informed about what's happening right there in their in the very same neighborhood that they live. Yeah, and I think as someone who helped organize the the climate strike in in September, I think we saw a lot of community engagement that 
um, was really, I think, kind of unprecedented. Um, it was really nice to interact with the community. And also last night, we saw someone from the Daily Targum there reporting on the story, mm-hmm. a few other off-campus students who came out um, and were really interested in, in engaging with the community. So there's definitely, I think, some positive shifts happening, um, but hopefully that could, we can continue to bridge um, those divides. But I know we have to, you have to get to the school board meeting pretty I do, soon. I do, I what, do. Um, what do you expect to happen tonight? Do you think there could be any kind of positive shifts um, as a result of a lot of residents that plan on coming out tonight? Well, you know, at the top of the hour, you heard my, uh, you know, back and forth at the last board meeting. And that was really, I, I would imagine, the first time that a lot of people learned about this. And so uh, it'll be nice to check in a month later and see where the board is. They, you know, their answer last time was, we're not going to comment now. Well, we're going to come back and we're going to ask what, the, what their uh, comment is today. Um, it's possible they may have, you know, thought this through and, you know, uh, may have come down on, you know, uh, some sort of position on what they want to see happen. Um, But uh, there certainly won't be any vote tonight. It's the type of thing where, um, you know, the agenda was not released until just uh, 2 p.m. today. So I'm going to try to push them to commit to, if they are going to sell the school, to give us at least a month's notice, not five hours notice. So it would be nice to kind of get them on the record to at least promise to give the notice so we can, you know, rally the troops if there's, uh, you know, if there is a vote coming up. But I, I don't expect anything to formally be decided tonight. I do expect a lot of uh, the parents we had last night and, and hopefully some of the other community members come out and make their voices heard. I think that this is, uh, you know, uh, this is a chance for New Brunswick to celebrate one of the great things that the board did, which was, you know, rescuing this school and, uh, you know, uh, you know, repurposing it for what it was, uh, what, what's been on that site for over a hundred years is educational purpose. And I think that, you know, when they hear from the parents who are so happy with the school and don't want to see it go, it may, may help, uh, uh, you know, persuade them to be more cautious of any uh, formal offer that may come down the pike. And then for people who want to get more involved in the 5th and 6th neighborhood uh, or Ward Neighborhood Association, um, how do they get involved, especially if they can't go tonight? Are there ways to kind of interact? And- yeah. So, uh, you know, first of all, I am, you know, on social media prominently. You can find me. My accounts are all Charlie4Change with the number four. And feel free to reach out directly. I'm happy to plug you into any of these things. But we do have a, a nice Facebook page for the uh, 5th and 6th Ward Neighborhood Associates, facebook.com slash wards five and six and uh you can stay tuned to that page for updates we do have another meeting planned that was such a hit last night i called the uh, uh hungarian foundation today and and uh they were kind enough to uh let us use the space again on november 11th so that's a monday and uh, we're going to be doing the same thing 6 30 p.m it's at 300 somerset street the hungarian heritage center uh which is a, a, a wonderful uh, part of our community the hungarian museum there Yeah. All right, Charlie, um, I know you have to get to the meeting, so I want to let you go. And um, thank you so much for coming on the program again. Um, Definitely come back anytime. Um, And we'll obviously continue to watch this story um, as well as the entire um, school district in New Brunswick, because this obviously isn't the only problem. Um, But if you or anybody else, um, or you know somebody who wants to come on the program and talk about a topic or issue, um, you can email us at thecore.fm. This has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. Stay tuned for more Core Radio after this.